welcome to Chapel Under the Oaks. Today is January 17th, 2021, and it's the second Sunday of Epiphany. We did not meet as a community for the first Sunday of Epiphany due to some unexpected wintry weather, including snow in central Texas where we live. Even though we are an outdoor interdenominational church, we rarely cancel due to the weather, but it does happen occasionally, and this was one of those times. So our service today is our first service together during the season of Epiphany. Thank you for joining us. Our key scripture for today is John 4, 48, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Our full scripture comes from the book of Judges and the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading now from the New International Version. First, from the Old Testament, Gideon's request for a sign from God, and this is found in Judges 6, 17 through 18, and 37 through 40. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. But then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. And now, from Matthew 2, 9 through 11, the sign of the star and the magi. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And finally, from Matthew 3, 1 through 6, 11, and 13 through 17, the sign of the baptism of Jesus. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John said, 
I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And now the sermon for today. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, make me an instrument of your salvation and sanctification. For these precious people that you've entrusted to my care today through this podcast, that by my life and teaching, I may set forth your true and living word. One day, an angel appeared to Adam in the Garden of Eden. The angel said, Adam, I've got great news. God is going to create something wonderful for you. And Adam said, okay, what is it? The angel said, well, it's it's not an it. It's a she. God is going to make something called a woman. And Adam said, okay, go on. The angel continued, this is going to be wonderful. This woman will be made a lot like you physically, but only much more beautiful. She will live to serve you at all times. When you're tired, she'll give you a massage. When you're hungry, she'll feed you. She'll come and bow down to you in the morning and when you return from working in the garden in the evening. She will live to serve your every pleasure every day. In addition, the angel continued, she will never argue with you or complain. She won't nag you or talk back to you either. For every command you give her, she'll simply reply, yes, master. She'll clean your house and tend to your every desire. Adam had a sparkle in his eye by now and said with excitement, wow, that sounds amazing. I'd really like to have something like that. But mm, what's it going to cost me? Well, Adam, the angel said, it's going to cost you your right arm and a leg. Hmm. Adam thought about it for a while, and then finally he replied, so what can I get for just a rib? Now, (laughs) that may not be exactly how it happened, but it works for us. Because somewhere in that story, Adam had what we typically call an aha moment, when something suddenly becomes clear and you understand it in a new way. Something that 
previously had been confusing or, at best, unclear. Sometimes we also refer to this as having an epiphany. We say when we've had a brilliant idea, I just had an epiphany. Or more commonly, oh, I I get it. The word epiphany, however, does not mean I get it. Actually, it means manifestation. The way in which something abstract is presented to us in a way that we can understand. For example, our love for another person is manifested in the way we treat that other person. Love, an abstract thing, becomes more understandable when we see it in action, manifested in our behaviors. Epiphany is also the season of the church year in which we find ourselves now. Epiphany begins on January 6th with the celebration of the arrival of the Magi bearing gifts to the baby Jesus. We read that passage as part of our scriptures for today. An epiphany continues until Lent begins on Ash Wednesday. The number of weeks varies depending on the date of Easter, and we do not have time today to understand how that is determined. Epiphany is a wonderful time to focus on the ways that the character and message of Jesus are manifested in the Bible so that his first century followers and indeed his 21st century followers can better understand who he was and therefore who God is. These epiphanies are sometimes called signs and wonders. Often, but not always, they are miraculous events that demonstrate Jesus's divine nature. The first sign, of course, takes us back to Christmas. God comes to earth to live among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Or as Eugene Peterson says in his translation of the Bible entitled The Message, God moves into the neighborhood. Now, what could be more miraculous than this basic understanding of Jesus? That he is indeed God. Now, we sometimes get wrapped up in the details, the star, the stable, the announcement by the angel Gabriel, the shepherds, but this is the big story. The miracle of all miracles is that God became human, but was still God. The angels announce his birth, the shepherds come to worship, then the wise men come from the east, following another wonder, the miraculous star. Now, this series of events works together as a sign, an epiphany, that this tiny king is for everyone, Jew and Gentile, meek and mighty, slave and master, a savior for the whole world. Now, all of these manifestations, these signs, are there to show us who Jesus is, God in the flesh and to prepare us for the final amazing sign we celebrate on Easter, that of Jesus crucified, then raised on the third day as our living Lord and Savior. Our key scripture for today points to this idea of signs and wonders, and it shows the insight that Jesus had into us humans. Jesus is in Cana, not for the wedding, where he turns water into wine, This is typically considered his first miracle, and we spent a lot of time on that event way back at our first service together months ago. On this trip to Cana, he is approached by a royal official whose son was sick. He wants Jesus to heal him, and Jesus tells him, 
Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And how true is that statement? Throughout the Bible, we find stories of people who needed a sign to believe that God was speaking to them or or that he loved them or that he was calling them or even that he existed. And we see this today, don't we? Perhaps you have asked God for a sign sometime. Most of us have. We read one of the clearest examples of this in the Old Testament as part of our scripture reading today. Gideon has been called to serve as a judge, a military, political, and spiritual deliverer of God's people, the Israelites. But Gideon wants to be sure he heard that right. He's from one of the smallest clans. He doesn't see how he can defeat the big Midianite army. Surely God is mistaken. Or maybe he didn't really hear God's voice. In fact, it would be so much better if he did not hear God's voice. Gideon is not sure he's ready for God to rock his world. So he asks for a sign, which God gives him, just as he asked. But that means he heard God right the first time, and that wasn't the answer Gideon was hoping for. So just to be sure, he asks for a second sign. And God provides it again. Finally, Gideon believes after signs and wonders, just as Jesus would tell the royal official in Cana. So we might think of epiphany as a time when we watch for and are blessed with God appearances, God winks, flashes of glory, aha moments with God. Typically, on the first Sunday after Epiphany, which was last Sunday when we did not meet, the church celebrates the baptism of Jesus. After the incarnation at Christmas and everything that goes with that, Jesus' baptism is the first sign that appears, the sign that starts his ministry. Jesus' baptism is so important that it is included in every gospel, including John's. It's told a bit differently in each one, but I chose Matthew's gospel because it includes something the others do not. And that's because Matthew records that when Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist, John was reluctant. He said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, why would John say this? Let's look a bit closer at how John baptized people, and it'll make sense. John's baptism was all about repentance. He told the people they needed to repent of their sins, have them washed away in the Jordan River, because the kingdom of heaven was coming. Or put another way, Jesus was coming. Things were about to change. They needed to turn back to God, repent, and be baptized as a symbol of that. Well, knowing this, it makes perfect sense that John would not understand why Jesus came to him. Jesus had no sin. He was God in the flesh, and he was sinless, the only sinless man that ever walked this earth. Jesus, as always, helps us understand when he responds to John. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, but that's still a bit confusing. What is Jesus talking about? We get a final clue after Jesus comes up from the water. At that moment, 
the sign becomes not just Jesus being baptized in the Jordan, but God and the Holy Spirit, the entire Trinity in union with him, as God proclaims, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus's baptism was not a baptism of repentance. Jesus's baptism was a baptism of commitment, of obedience. By that act, he said to his father, the Holy Spirit, and indeed to the world, essentially these things. And as I say them now, imagine yourself here at the beginning of a new year, making this same commitment. I am here on my father's mission. I am here to be obedient in all things to my father. I am one with my father and the Holy Spirit. If you have seen me, you have seen the father. This was a sign, a wonder, the first of many. As we go through the weeks of Epiphany, we will revisit these signs and wonders and we will see some themes emerge. We will see that living into Epiphany means immersing ourselves in the story of Jesus. You can do that by reading one of the Gospels along with us, perhaps the shortest Gospel, Mark. We'll also see that this is a time to pay attention to what God is doing around you, in your life, in the lives of others. It's also a time to be astonished at what you see. Do not be afraid or ashamed or too jaded to be amazed at what God does in your life. Remember that everything Jesus does is countercultural, against the norms of society. Look for the ways Jesus invades your world every day and remember them. And then finally, tell about it. Share these amazing God winks and aha moments with others. This is perhaps the hardest part. I read this statement not long ago by a wise person. He wrote, we live in a cultural moment when religious zeal is suspect. Spiritual beliefs are considered strictly personal. Tolerance is paramount and anything resembling proselytizing is off limits. Agreed? So we need to remember Andrew when Jesus called him to be his disciple. He told his brother Simon what he had seen and heard and invited him to come and see for himself. Jesus took it from there. About eight years ago, Keith and I were on a cruise from New Orleans to Rome. We were in the very early years of the cruise ship ministry. In fact, this was only the fourth cruise where we had taught Bible study, but it was the first one out of the southern port of the U.S. and the first on a mega ship. We were a little unsure as to how we would be received. Ships sailing out of New Orleans are notoriously party ships. Would there be people who would want to leave the party long enough to come to Bible study and worship? Imagine our surprise and excitement when we overflowed the chapel they assigned us for Bible study on the first day. It had seating for about 30 and we had 75 people 
sitting on the floor, on the steps, in the windowsills, behind me, everywhere. They found another room for us and we grew to 90 before the cruise was over. It was an affirmation, a sign that perhaps we were onto something here, that we had indeed heard God's calling correctly. This was where he wanted us to be. But we were still thinking small, not God-sized. We were thinking that we would uh, cruise once a year, do a little Bible study, and that would constitute obedience to God's call. Our faith was still weak. So we thought this might be a fluke, a great experience, but nothing that really changed our plans. Then, on the last day of the cruise, the real sign came. We had met many wonderful people who attended Bible study every day, several who remain dear friends to this day. We've been in their homes and they've been ours. We've cruised together several times since then. One of those is the Mitchells from Athens, Georgia. Mitch Mitchell and his wife, Marty. Yes, his name was Mitchell Mitchell. As he said, his parents weren't too creative when it came to names. We learned quickly that they were Georgia Bulldog fans. They lived in Athens, Georgia, after all, and we were still attending quite a few of the Longhorn games at that time, so immediately we had football in common. But we learned quickly that we had something much more important in common, a great love for Jesus. We enjoyed each other so much that while on that ship, we planned a cruise together for the next year, another transatlantic over the years, we've emailed with them regularly, exchanged Christmas cards, and we even spent a few days with them in Athens back in 2015. So on the last day of that cruise out of New Orleans, we were not surprised when Mitch found us at breakfast and dropped an envelope off at our table. He said they just wanted to say thanks for our ministry on the ship and share their contact info. But when we opened the envelope later, back in our cabin, we found much more than a thank you note, a check for $1,000 to be used to support our ministry. We were astounded. Now understand, we were neophytes at this thing, the whole ministry thing at that point. We were not an official nonprofit. We hadn't even come up with our official name of High Seas Ministries. Shoot, we didn't even have a handout for the Bible study. And the thought of someone else supporting us in this endeavor was the farthest thing from our minds. We stared at the check and both said at the same time, this is a game changer. God had just sent us a message through mentioned Marty Mitchell. We needed to think bigger. We were given a sign. On the Tuesday after Christmas, we received an email from Athens, Georgia. Our friend Marty wrote to tell us that her beloved husband, Mitch, had gone to be with Jesus. He had a massive heart attack in his sleep. No warning, no long illness. He just lay down for a nap and woke up with Jesus. Not a bad way to make that trip. We were devastated for these were precious friends that we found through our love for Jesus. I talked to Marty the next day and she was full of hope and peace that Mitch was happy, whole, and still smiling. 
I told her what an impact they had made on our lives and the lives of thousands of other people all over the world. For without their gift, so many years ago, who knows how long we would have continued to think small, perhaps ignoring the smaller signs God was sending our way. Epiphany is the season of signs and wonders. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. Like God did for Gideon so long ago, Jesus is about to rock your world. Are you ready? Welcome to Epiphany. Amen. Amen.